Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. This morning, I hope to be brief. Three points out of this text and the story of Abraham about the call of God. I want us to understand God's call to us that is echoing out, but also the call of God that is speaking to us in this season. I pray that you and I would respond with faith. Three things so we can be clear about the call of God. Number one from this text is that God's call is never small. God's call is never small. Let's just quickly backtrack before we get to the story. Maybe you may be familiar with this character, but I, I don't want to take it for granted. This man named Abraham. Who is he? Who was he? Good, good, good question. Good answer. This is your question answer. No joke. It's fine. I'll tell you now. Abraham was a man in Genesis chapter 12 when we first stumbled upon this character, Abraham. And Abraham, we told, is the son of an idol merchant. His dad made idols for other foreign gods. That was what he did for a living. This was the man who his family's home was filled with idols of different gods. Abraham, as somebody said, the father of faith. This is how he started out. The son of an idol merchant. He was also a sun worshipper himself. What that means was that he had said he chose to worship creation rather than the creator. This is the father of our faith, Abraham. Abraham as well was a man, as you read on in the story, who pimped out his wife to protect his own skin. When he went into a foreign land, he was so nervous that the people would, 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 be, would be jealous of his pretty wife that he should tell them, she's my sister. And other guys would hit on him, follow our faith. Abraham. Oh, there we go. Good question. Let's maybe stop with the question and ask this session. We can have questions afterwards. But yet, the, the, the best one the scripture tells us, that I love the most, is that it says this, and in this, in this sort of environment, that Abraham grew up in. As he grew up in, and, and everyone else around him started to have kids, Abraham and his, and his wife Sarah, they could not have kids because they were barren. He tells us they were barren. So much so that year upon year, they tried for kids, but nothing happened. And this is such a big thing for them in that culture. Why? Because in that culture, your, your, the, the amount of children you had would determine your future, your success as a family, your, your family life. So, that actually in this culture, it wasn't just like, oh, we chose not to have kids. No, for this culture, this was actually the, a, a big X over their marriage, a big X over their lives, a big like, fail in their lives. So, Abraham and Sarah, they were too old. They got to this time where they were now 90, in the 90s of their lives, and, uh, and they still were barren. They still could not have any children. This was a man who actually, in, in my understanding, as I read the text, I, I'm going to introduce to Abraham. I look at this man, his dad was an idol merchant, a, a man who, who was a son merchant, a man who, was, who did dodgy things with his wife, a man who was too old, who did not succeed in the, in the culture of the day. I'm not going perfect man to be the father of him. In my logic, I'm not, if I'm honest. Because if I look at this man, this is a man who should have been written off. Should have just been written off in, in every single sphere, whether spiritual, whether even economical, societal. Abraham just moved to the side, buddy. You're not that good. There's some other talented guys around. There were some massive mountains in front of this man, but this is where we find his story begins in Genesis chapter 12, when God's call finds him. And God's call greets Abraham, and I vowed in this moment, if I was God, I would start, my first thing would be, let's address this idol thing first. 
God doesn't say that. The first moment he meets with Abraham, I would say, let's talk about the sun when she's going to think first, Abraham. doesn't do that. She said, okay, let's just talk about maybe some of the dodgy stuff we're doing with your wife. No, no, the first thing God says to Abraham, this man, son of an idol worship, a man with a son worship, a man with a dodgy relationship with his wife, a man who's barren, has no children, God says to him, Abraham, I want to bless you. He says, I want to bless you, not only that, comma, so that you'll be a blessing to all nations. And he goes on in chapter 15, God echoes his call and he says, Abraham, I want to bless you, I want to make you famous, I want to make you a father of many nations. He says, I want to give you as many offspring as the stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. God's call is never small. If I was God, I'm like, okay, let's give him like a starting point. Let's see if he just gets from, if he can get over that sun which you can think we'll talk again. Give him a month, then he's talking again. Let's see how he does with his getting rid of the eyes. No, no. God speaks from the get-go. He has this natural call and he speaks the bigness of this bigger story into Abraham's fickle, small, insecure little heart. The call of God gets in there. It says, Abraham, my call is never small. Amen. From the very get-go, God invites Abraham into the impossible, into something that cannot be accomplished apart from God. Too often religion will sell us a thing or a, 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 an idea that when you come to God, it's going to be just a, a self-help program to make you slightly better person. When God comes and says, no, 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 I'm not into self-help and make you slightly better. I want to make you a brand new person with a brand new destiny, something that you could never ever achieve in your own ability. That's what God comes. I want to tell you this morning that I've got so much faith to remind us, and maybe I'm reminding my heart again and again, that you are never written off in God. You are never written off in God. I would love to go through the road and look at in every place and say, you are not written off in God. Yeah, but you don't know what my dad did. You are never written off in God. You don't know what I do. You don't, you're never written off in God. You don't know the, the barriers, the mountains I'm facing. You're never written off in God. No matter your history, God can rewrite any destiny. And it'll make it much glorious, much bigger, much more fruitful than you and I could ever manufacture with our human hands. But the problem is shame and fear keep, keep, keep people in a small space. It keeps, keeps us, it hijacks futures from us again and again. Let me give you my story very quickly. When I was 17 years old, I was a jacked up, insecure, porn addicted teenager. Just to be real here, welcome to church, if you've never heard that before. Um, I was, in every sense of the word, not the ideal candidate for what God wanted to do. I, I literally thought, God, my biggest prayer was, God, please help me not look at porn this week. That was my biggest prayer. And I thought, if God can do that, that's, that's the biggest thing I've ever prayed for. And I will never forget the day, uh, it was about 30 years ago, in Four Woodland, 16 Last Road, the second flat on the left at the top, I was upstairs there and I remember my mom telling me a story, for some reason or other, of a man that she knew, who had got married, fallen in love with the school, got married, and on their honeymoon, she had died. And said it broke his heart, ripped his heart, the, the, the dream of their future that was not going to be met, not going to be walked out, not going to be seen, and the brokenness of the, what they planned together. And at their funeral, my mom told me, he was so devastated about this that he actually said, I want to remember her in the moment of her glory. So he had her, there, had her in an open coffin. I uh, apologize if this graphic, but this is real for me. She had an open casket in her wedding dress. And this man at the service went on. He was so distraught that he actually climbed into the coffin and, the coffin and cried over his, his, his dead wife. 
And, and as my mom told me this morbid story, that would have, that actually is quite a bizarre story to tell. A 17 year old boy. As she was telling this story, for some reason or other, I felt God's voice clear. It wasn't audible, but deep in my chest. And God, God's call reached this jacked up, insecure, cornered into teenager. Not gay, you must stop looking at porn. That was to come. But God spoke into my heart and said, My bride is dying. God spoke to me and said, My bride is dead and has been abused by other people. He said, Will you get a cry come to the dead space of people's lives and call my bride away? The call of God reached my dead heart. And I remember thinking, I remember weeping and weeping. And I was like, I didn't think that story was going to go that way. But I was like, it's, it's God. And I, all I could tell my mom was, Mom, it's God. It's God. It's God. I felt clearly God's call coming to a small little heart that was insecure and insipid and banal and boring and obsessed with small, meaningless little things. And God spoke to this big call. You will awaken my bride. And I, I don't know about you. I don't know about your story. But I want to tell you this morning, God is not a, His call is not a respect of persons. His call is not a respect of past, it's not a respect of man's opinion, it's not a respect on who thinks you can, or shouldn't, or can't, or won't. He doesn't care about those things. God's call is never small, it's never limited, it's never minimized, it's never small. Depends on how we receive it. Let me tell you, point one this morning, God's call is never small. Secondly this morning, God's call is always to more. So we find chapter 22, this man, Abraham, chapter 12, go read it, the story, chapter, narrative happens, chapter 12, all the way through to chapter 22 in this moment. And uh, in between this, we find that God miraculously does give Abe and Sarah, at the age of 99, he gives them a son named Isaac, miraculously, through his barren, very old wife, who actually Abraham had said, Abraham's own word, when he was describing his wife, said, she's as good as dead. Let me tell you, don't write that in any Valentine's card, guys. Don't. It's really good. Don't do it. That. But that's a word. But God says, yeah, yeah, you've written off, but I haven't. And God gives him a miraculous son. But here's the amazing thing. If you go read one verse back from where we're reading, chapter 21, you find the story of Abraham. Abraham's got this boy, Isaac. Yeah, it's incredible. And, uh, and the, the story tells us that Abraham is now drifted to this. And he's drifted. He's loving his son. But his heart is not as responsive as it was in chapter 12. This is this gun on attitude. The last verse of chapter 21 tells us that Abraham had settled in the land of the Philistines. Now, a little bit before that as well, Abraham was making treaties with Philistine kings and was saying, sorry, he received the promise of Isaac. But God has said, this, I'm going to give you one boy, so I'm going to make your father nations. But then Abraham was like, yes, this is awesome. I've got my boy, I've got my family. And he started to trust his own ability, make treaties with foreign kings. This is a man who was called to trust God. Foreign kings, so much that the last verse of 21 says, he settled in the Philistine land. Let me tell you where that land was. That land was halfway between where he'd come from and where God was calling him to go. But here's the amazing thing. In chapter 22, when God's call comes afresh to Abraham, I believe that Abraham's greatest testing was halfway between where he'd come from and where God was calling him to go. It was an enemy territory, and it was in a land that was not his own. You see, here's my thesis this morning. Where I'm going. Is that between the promise and the provision, there's always a mountain. Between the promise of God and walking into the provision of that promise, there's always a mountain. Let me say it this way. Let me read a quote for us this morning. 
A man named Mark Sayers said this, We are offered the mirage that we can have community without commitment. That we can have faith without discipleship. That we can have the kingdom without a king. Sobering words. Another way to put it is this. I believe, we said a couple times here, that before your miracle there's a mountain. Before his provision is a decision. Before your breakthrough there's, some, there's a response. God is calling us to a moment. And in the story of, uh, of Abe, a good man Abe, between the promise and the provision, there was a mountain. Chapter 22 opens up, and we won't recount the whole story. I love you guys, we the story right because it's an interesting one. But this is the understanding. Is this call that comes to Abraham? Abraham! And Abraham responds, Yes, I am, here I am, God. God, in paraphrase, God is saying this I'm too committed to you to let you settle. I'm too committed to let you settle for just smallness. God's call is never small, but it's also God's call is always to more. I want to tell you here today, there's a verse in the book of Jeremiah which says, you were called to run with the horses. Why are you running with the footmen? And I put that out as I was praying this week. I faith in this community. I just wanted to post my own offer to us. You were called to run with the, horse, the horses. Why are you running with the footmen? Why have you settled? Why have we parked our hearts in neutral? He has the understanding, as Abraham has this, this decision to make, as God calls him to this grand, grand, radical call in this moment. I believe that when the heart wants to sacrifice, don't know about you, but my heart does When my heart wants to sacrifice, my mind starts to want to make sense. Let me say that again, it feels really good. When the heart wants to sacrifice, too often my mind wants to start making sense. Let me say it this way, some examples. I don't know about you, but I've had many times where I want to be generous. I'm like, I want to be generous. I want to sacrifice, I want to be generous. And then my mind comes and says, yeah, but I don't think your budget will stretch that way this month. Oh, yeah, that makes sense, makes sense. When my heart wants to sacrifice, my mind wants to make sense. I, you, I go, I want to confess the sin I'm wrestling with. And then I go, I'm not emotionally strong right now to, to really handle the feedback. So maybe we can work through for this. I'm not, I'm, then I'll tell God, we have got some good things. Anyone else? When my heart wants to sacrifice my mind, goes, just, just, just think about this, okay? When I want to step out and start that new initiative, speak to that colleague, challenge the status quo, I go, ah, oh, but maybe it's not my place to do this. Maybe someone else should do it. This is what happens with this thing, but the scriptures are so clear. Hebrews 11 says it this way. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I don't know how clear the scriptures can, clearer the scriptures can get than that. It haunts me, that scripture. I can do amazing things, but if I do not faith, and faith is not faith unless it's sacrificial, if I can, if I can, I can be here because I've got a big income, it's not really faith. I'm trusting the fact that I've got resources to do it. Faith is going to say, I trust in God that heals the blood. So without faith, without sacrifice, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. Can't. Can't do it. And this is understanding for Abraham in this moment, but between the promise and the provision, there will always be a mountain to overcome. But here's the understanding for you and I. Is that when we understand this, when we understand this principle, promise, provision, there's a mountain. There will always be a mountain. When God gives you a promise, He's not going to say, great, here it is, all done. He wants to partner with you and I. But when we understand that the, between the promise and the provision, there's always a mountain, we'll start seeing 
that what the enemy has put in front of us is not there to stop us, it's there to qualify us. Too many people look at your mouth and go, Satan! And God saying, actually, it's an invitation for you to walk into God. The way you respond to your mouth determines how you walk into your provision. Let me move on this morning because I want to get somewhere. First point, God's call is never small. Secondly, God's call is always to more. Finally, God's call is always to leave what was before. God's call is always to leave what lay before. Let me, be, let me just let's be very honest in this moment. This scripture terrifies me. And if it's badly preached, can lead a lot of horrific consequences. The typical teaching must understand the horror of this call. God said to Abraham, Bring your son and sacrifice him to you. Let's not super spiritualize this. This is a horrifying call. If I preach this badly and some of you go, Well, son, bad luck. I'm going to answer to a lot of officials in the city. Yeah? Sorry about that. It's the word of God. But here's the understanding. This is one of the most compelling stories in the Jewish faith. In the oral tradition, the reason why it's so compelling is because of the beauty and the horror of it. See that against each other. It's a horrifying and beautiful story. But yeah, if we, are, if we come to the story with the idea that God was after Abraham's son... We have a very tough narrative to make sense of. What's God doing here? But you have to understand it. We understand the story that God wasn't after what was in Abraham's hands, but was rather after what was in Abraham's heart. We've got a different understanding here. Let me explain it. Many people come to me. I've had this moment. And I've maybe had many people come and say, okay, I want to follow God. But if I come to God, doesn't mean I have to give up if I come to God, I want it, but will that mean I have to give up X, Y, and Z? This relationship, this habit, this thing, this lifestyle. Will I have to do that? I want to tell you that if you're asking that, I can't help you with an answer yet. If you're asking that question, I can't help you yet. Because if you're asking how much is this going to cost me, you need to ask God for a greater glimpse of Jesus. The better question is how much will this cost me if I don't get God? How much will this cost me if I don't have give up everything for Him? Because you see, we have to understand, to understand the story, we have to understand something called the law of primogeniture, which is the law of the firstborn in that culture. You see, what happens with the firstborn in that culture is the firstborn, when, when inheritance were given out, inheritance were given totally to the firstborn. I'm the third born in the family. I've had zilch kind of my way in the Bible and the Bam, baby gets it all. Should have been nicer to him growing up. But here's the thing. The reason why is because they said if they divide up the inheritance amongst the kids, they weaken the family. But if they give all this culture with this right or wrong, this is the Jewish culture in those days, was given all to the firstborn, and then he stands as a strong man for the family and the culture. So for Abraham, when they have Isaac, this is his ticket to future. A man for 99 years has had nothing, no future, back of the line, buddy, you, it ends with you. He's got Isaac. If I'm Abraham, I'm holding to Isaac, I'm putting him into extra lessons, he's going to extra coaching sessions, this man, he's going to work hard, Isaac. Your hope, your future, put everything on this one child. Families hope their future lay in the firstborn. 
You see, Isaac represents all of Abraham's strength, his security, his identity. Everything of Abraham's future was wrapped up in Isaac. You see, when the first call came to Abraham, Abraham didn't have much to lose. Much to lose when God first called him. Abraham had nothing. Abraham had nothing. But now Abraham has something to lose. Maybe you've said it this way. You go, I, I can't confess that sin, Gabe, because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm a, I'm a dad. I'm a, what do people think of me if I, if I confess that stuff? I've got something to lose. I, I can't heart ask the headmaster for an opportunity because he will, he'll think I'm a weirdo if I go, if I'm, I'm, just a, I'm just here at school. I'm just, I can't be that straight. I can't go all the way to the top. I can't be generous because how will I? I can't challenge my boss because he will. History tells us and experience shows us that for us to experience his more, we must leave the much of our own manufactured hands. For us to walk into the more that God has to us, for us, we have to leave what our hands have manufactured for us to lay hold of that. Here's a question for you and I and for my heart this morning. is: What will we sacrifice now for the promise of a future harvest? Say it again and again. Jesus this morning is that I believe God's supply is always preceded by sacrifice. The whole narrative of Scripture agrees with me. God's supply is always preceded by sacrifice. Another way to say that we say colloquially here is that radical futures demand radical obedience. But here you see that the story has so much more power that it captivates historians, theologians, Scholars and ordinary people like you and me alike. Not because you know, the story doesn't add, just to let you know, I'm pushing this in that direction. The story doesn't add. In verse 14, Abraham, if you go read the story, he responds in incredible faith, takes Isaac up, lays him on the altar, and just at the moment, looks up, looks his eyes, sees a ram, thinking God provides a ram, and he puts the ram on instead of Isaac. Isaac goes free. And Abraham says this on the mountain of the Lord. It will be provided. It says, from that day on, people, the, the colloquial problem is, on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Tell the story. I won't tell you. I thank Jesus that doesn't say on the mount of the Lord, it will be obeyed. He doesn't say on the mount of the Lord, it will be worked hard for. He says, on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Let me help you as where we go here. Already, God's supply is always preceded by sacrifice. But why this story has power for you and I? Because if it lands, let me tell you, if it's, if it's, the priest lands now, we've got to all go and do some really, really big things. I still think we have to respond big, but I, I want to elevate it to the bigger sacrifice, bigger call, bigger response. Is actually this story echoes and actually the incredible transpose over Christ being our ultimate sacrifice. Let me tell you why. It was this mountain, Mount Moriah, that later, many years later, another father would sacrifice his son. Jesus, the story tells us, was sacrificed on this mountain that Abraham took Isaac up. Let me tell you again that Isaac carried his own wood on his back up the hill for his own sacrifice. Jesus carried his own wood up as well for the cross. Let me tell you the son Isaac what laid his life down willingly. There was no fight in Isaac. He just said, Dad, I trust you. He went on the altar. The Father, Jesus said, 
I trust you. And he laid his life down willingly. Let me tell you, when the ram was sacrificed in place of his son, God's son was sacrificed in place of us. Abraham's future to have many sons was to God said, give up your one son now, I will give you many sons. Can I tell you the good news was God gave up his one son so many sons to come to glory. This is the understanding of this text why it's so beautiful, is that actually for you and I, is that not on the mount of the Lord it will be obeyed, it's on the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Jesus is our sacrifice. And here's my greatest understanding this morning. As we understand that God's supply is always preceded by sacrifice, when we see Jesus as that ultimate sacrifice, we start to realize that Jesus is not only the sacrifice, he's also the supply. He's the one who gave his life for us, he's the one who also gives us life as well. He is our sacrifice and He is our supply. When we understand this, the story starts to not be a, column, a, a compelling story to try hard and give up something and, and, and let's go for less. Let's give up chocolate for Jesus. No, no, when we understand this, we start to see the beauty of the one, the horror of the story going, I could never do that to my son, but God did it to His son for me. God steps in when I would fail. God steps in every single time when we trust Him. But here is the, the indicator for you and I, is that I believe we when we understand that, the question is not, how great, how little do I now have to obey? The call for me is, how much more do I give him? When I realize he's given me everything, how much more? Why don't I hold up to anything? He's given me everything. I want to say this morning, I believe that God is wanting to do something in our hearts this morning. This might be so brilliant, but I believe this is compelling for me, is that God's call is always, is never small. I believe God was speaking to hearts this morning and in large hearts, dreams that have died and say, I'm going after God again. I'm going after that promotion again. I'm going after that ministry again. I'm going after that gift and that let's go. I believe God's call is never small. I believe God's call is always to more. Where you settle in apathy, where you sat back and said, you know what, it's time for the young guys to run. I believe God's saying, no, 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 my call is always to more. If you've seen me, you'll know I'm calling you to war. Yeah, but you know, or you settle back in criticism or, or, or cynical attitudes. God says, no, 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 my call is always to more. Don't settle in Philistine country. It's time for war, and I believe God's call always calls us to let go of what they before. And I believe it's for you and I to make decisions of radical futures demand radical obedience. I'm actually cutting off my trailer. I'm not pulling this thing because Abraham has settled down and the blessing has become everything to him. And God said, no, 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 I am your sacrifice, but I'm also your supply. Trust me alone. And this is what move the mountain faith looks like when we say God's supply is always preceded by sacrifice. Ultimately by Jesus. Now in response, you and I get to make decisions. What do we let go of? So we can take hold of him. God is not after your hands, he's after your heart. And I believe you and I, that's the harder place to work. If it's just our hands, I can give everything away and move on. But my heart is the thing that needs to go to me. My heart is to go. But I think this is going to be made this morning. I'm going to ask the band to come up and we're going to sing a couple of songs in response to this great Jesus together. But I'm going to ask us if before the band start leading us, playing anything, can we stand to our feet if that's alright?
And God started enlarging my heart of faith for this community. I said, God, I want to fight for the futures of this community. I don't want to let these people settle. I don't want us to settle for being a, a, a safe, lukewarm, cool place to be. I want to, I believe God is called Southern Doors. And today there's a moment of God smashing smallness of people. I call this never small. I believe today is the day where God is calling us to more. It's a large part. I believe today is the day where God is saying, will you make decisions? You've been holding on to that thing for years. And you've been saying, I'll, give, I'll make that decision in another stage. Today is the day where you say, I'm done. I'm done with the old, I'm picking up with the new. Today is the day of radical obedience. And God says, watch radical futures open up. This is the story of Abraham, the father of faith, but even more so. This is the story of our son, of our Savior, God's son, named Jesus. He paid everything. So you and I can be ripped out of small, pull us into more, and say, would you trust me? Give me everything. If that's you.